Mark chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 1 through 20. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. That seeing, they may see and not perceive, and hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted, and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time, Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it, and bringeth forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. The parable of the sower uh, makes its way into the book of Mark. The writer of this gospel, Mark, is teaching us the essentials about Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus? What do we need to know about Jesus? And he teaches us about Jesus by showing us the actions of Jesus, by showing us what Jesus did. But he also includes what Jesus taught, and that is fundamental. It's one thing to demonstrate Jesus as being our Messiah, our Christ, our Redeemer in showing what he did, but we also get a sense of who Christ is and how we are to apply the knowledge of who he is to our lives through his teachings. In this passage, Mark records Jesus' teaching of the parable of the sower. And if you've been around Christianity any length of time, you have probably heard this. The parable of the sower, that the sower went forth to sow, and some of the, sow, some of the seeds fell on thorny ground, some fell on stony ground, some were thrown by the wayside and the fowl of the air gobbled them up, and some fell on good ground. And there has been much said about this passage. There has been much taught about this passage, and you are probably familiar with this parable, and much of what you have been taught and that you're familiar with about this parable is probably true. It's pretty hard to mess up the parable of the sower. Some people do, but it's pretty hard to mess this parable up. But we would be remiss 
if we look at this parable and we said, oh, okay, I know what this is, and we went about our merry way, we need to take another look at this parable and see what does this actually mean to us and how do we apply this concept to our lives? Because in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, we see three things. We see the sowing. We see the ground. And we see the application. When we see the sowing, we're not talking agriculture here, all right? Now, if this message were about agriculture, I would be the last one who would need to stand up here. I grew up in rural East Texas, and I've lived in rural Central Texas, and it's a travesty that I don't know more about agriculture than I do, but I don't know a lot about it. So when we're talking about sowing, we're going to be talking about sowing the word, all right? We're going to talk about the ground in terms of the reactions of the world, and then we're going to see the revelation of where our own hearts fit into this picture. So let's talk about sowing the word. The sower went forth to sow. Verse 14, Jesus interprets this parable for us. He says, the sower soweth the word. Now, by the way, I want to point something out. In verse 13, Jesus said, know ye not this parable. How then will ye know all parables? The key to understanding the kingdom parables is right here in the parable of the sower. The symbolism that we are going to see in the parable of the sower are going to take us through the rest of the parables of Jesus Christ. And they're going to mean the same things, and thus they're going to teach us lessons according to these same signs. Now, Brother Wayman is going to get us all knotted up next Sunday when he preaches. But then when I come back here in two weeks... We are going to visit about the kingdom parables. I'm going to take you through the kingdom parables because we need to understand what the Lord's knowledge is, what his will is, what his plan is, so that when things look like they're not going too well, we don't get disenchanted because we knew that this was going to happen. All right? So the sower in verse 14, he soweth the word. All right? The sower is identified in Matthew chapter 13 as being the Son of Man, as being our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so the sower is Jesus, all right? The sower went forth to sow. Matthew chapter 13, he tells us that the sower is the Son of Man. So Christ went forth to sow. What did he sow? He sowed the Word here in verse 14. What is the Word? When Jesus sowed the Word, what was the Word that he sowed? How to live your dreams. How to have the best life now. How to be a conqueror and overcomer. No. The word is the gospel. When you take the scriptures, the inspired word of God, and you boil them down to their central theme, it is about the gospel. Our redemption through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our sins according to the scriptures. That's what the gospel is. That's what the scriptures are all about. Charles Spurgeon once said that whenever he preaches a passage of scripture, he reads that scripture and makes a beeline to the gospel. How does this relate to the gospel and to our redemption? And so that's what the word is. And when Jesus sowed the word, when he spread the word, what was he teaching? He was teaching the gospel. He was teaching redemption. He was teaching repentance. He was teaching reconciliation. He was teaching the love of God. 
He said, greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. What else did he say? He says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, which means that we are to love with the same love that the Lord had toward us. We are to apply that sacrificial love to each other. And as the Lord gave himself for our redemption, we should pray for each other's redemption and reconciliation. Brother Leland, we're all saved in here. We have issues that we are looking to the Lord to redeem us from beyond soul salvation. All right? And so that's the gospel, and that's what Jesus spread, and that's what he preached, and that's what he did, and that was his mission en route to fulfilling the gospel. The sower soweth the word. The word is the gospel. And notice that the sower soweth the word. Our Lord sows the gospel. And sowing means to take the seed in your hand and to scatter it. The first time I ever saw this done was in my dad's front yard. We were sowing Bermuda seed. My dad wanted a lawn. We lived in East Texas. The dirt in East Texas is red clay. I don't care what you plant on red clay, it is not going to grow unless it's weeds. Weeds will grow in red clay. My dad's uh, Bermuda seed did not grow. But he tried, bless his heart. But I learned the concept of sowing from that. And when I sowed that Bermuda seed, some of it fell on the red clay. Some of it landed in the flower bed. Some of it landed in the driveway. I was not very targeted toward this. You just, you just scatter that stuff out. Um, I was talking lawn care with my coworker the other day. He has one of these little things you pour the seed in, you walk through the front yard with it, and it automatically spreads it out, right? Sowing, spreading, broadcasting. Publishing, the sower sows, our Lord sows the gospel. When he had his earthly ministry here on this earth, he personally preached the gospel. He personally spread the gospel. Today, he sows the word through his churches. He spreads the gospel through his churches. He preaches the gospel through his churches. Brother Adam Taylor here went to Thailand Brother Taylor, did you have all that money in your back pocket to make it to Thailand? No. There were a lot of churches that came in behind you, helped you out to, to get there. I know my being here in Brownwood was not because I was independently wealthy and able to move to another place and build a new church building. We have a lot of churches that have been behind this project we've got here. Um, you know, anytime you see a man in ministry, you are seeing a turtle on a fence post. What's the significance of that? When you see a turtle on a fence post, you know the turtle didn't get there on his own. He had a little bit of help, okay? So what, is, what am I talking about here? I'm talking about how the Lord uses his churches for the spread of the gospel. Brother Taylor would have never seen Thailand but for the Lord's churches. Rachel will never see Thailand but for the Lord's churches. Missionaries all over the world are all over the world. They wouldn't be there but for the Lord's churches. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that when the, when the church at Antioch had prayed and laid their hands on Paul and Barnabas, they sent them out. They sent them out. That we, we, in the English, we just look over, okay, they told them to go. They didn't tell them, all right, guys, get out of here. That word sent means to be supplied and then sent out. The, that church at Antioch loaded them up and sent them out. That's why in Romans chapter 10, 
when it says, how shall they hear without a preacher and how shall they preach except they be sent? Somebody is behind this. And that's what the Lord does. He uses his churches, his missionaries. Hey, he uses the members of his churches. All right. Some members, and I'm not talking about you're a member of this church and you write a check and mail it to a missionary somewhere. I'm talking about you personally are out there spreading the gospel. That's how the Lord spreads the gospel today. He does it through his churches, through the members of his churches and their personal evangelism, through the collective effort of the church in doing outreach in their community, through the collective giving and benevolence of the churches and supporting missionaries all over the world. That's how the Lord is spreading the gospel today, and he's doing it in a number of ways. You can sow the seed by hand, or you can go to Home Depot and buy that little broadcaster thingy that you pour the seed in and you can, you know, it today, personal evangelism, church outreach, we have Christian radio all over the world. You know, there are some countries where you don't even need a, a license to sign on a radio station. You go out there, you find you an empty frequency, you set you up a transmitter, boom, you're in business. And I've talked to guys who are in ministry, and that's what they do. They go to these third world countries, and they set up these radio stations, and they go into the villages and hand out radios. And at certain times of the day, those villages all come together around that radio because they want to know the news. They want to know how the weather's going to be. They want to know what's going on in their capital. And they get the gospel in the middle of all that, you yeah. see. The Lord is using a number of different ways to spread the gospel today. The Lord sows the gospel. And the sower sows, follow me here, the sower sows indiscriminately. Notice as this sower is sowing, that seed is going all over that field. It's landing on good ground. It's landing on bad ground. He sows indiscriminately. He sows the seed throughout the entire field. He's got to cover it all. You're worried about the seed landing on bad ground. Oh, that seed's wasted. No, what's wasted is the good ground that don't get seed. So you, when, you're, when you're sowing seed for crops, you have to make sure that every square inch of your good ground has been properly covered. Because the biggest waste in agriculture is to have farmable land that is not being farmed. You need every square inch of that. And so you sow that seed everywhere. And some of it lands in the good ground, some of it lands in the bad ground. But the main thing is to make sure the good ground is covered. So the sower sows indiscriminately. It's broadcasted. Likewise, the gospel is preached throughout the entire world to the believer, to the heathen, to those who are receptive, to those who are not receptive. We can send a missionary to one country and thousands of people flock to hear the gospel and thousands of people are saved. We can send a missionary to Thailand. Brother Brent Rosendahl discussed Thailand as being the missionary's graveyard. He, he told us that when he was on deputation because missionaries will go there to preach the gospel. People will come to hear the gospel. The missionary will, and, and, and large numbers of people will come to hear the gospel. The missionary will preach the gospel. And then the people will turn away and walk away and nobody will respond to it. You know, so when you're in a situation like that, you have to sow a lot of seed to find the good ground. Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep going to Thailand? Why do you keep ministering in Chiang Mai and these places? Because the, the, the Lord has people in those places. There are people that God wants reached in those places. Therefore, we preach the gospel in those places. 
And God calls men to those places and women. And he calls people to those places. And we spread the gospel in those places because we're there to reach whoever the Lord would have us to reach. So we sow the word. We don't sit here like a business plan. Business plan, you have to take into consideration how many competitors you have in the market and how much of a market share there is. Brother Jim has his... I can't remember the name of the substance. It's like Vegemite, but it's... Marmite. 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 Introduce Marmite to American audiences. You know how that's never been done? Nobody wants it here. Um, it's why we haven't started importing beetles from Thailand as, as a consumer good. You know, nobody wants that here, all right? When you're doing a business plan, you're looking for, is there a market here? Is there a demand for this? Would these people like this, all right? We don't do that with the word of God. We have not been told to do that with the word of God. The, the gospel is preached to everyone, to the receptive and to the unreceptive, to the believer that he can be re-encouraged with his redemption and to the non-believer so that he can be saved. We preach the gospel to everyone. All have an opportunity to come to the Lord so that those who reject are without excuse. Likewise, we are to sow the word. As a sower scatters seed through an entire field, we are to spread the gospel through the entire world. That means overseas, and that means at home. That means in Canada, and that means in Central Texas. That means in Thailand, and that means in South Texas. That means in Zimbabwe, and it means in early. Everywhere we are sowing the word, we are to preach the gospel to the entire world, and we are to preach the gospel to everybody, not just those whom we deem worthy. I've got a friend, a missionary to, to a city within an eight-hour drive. I almost called his name in the church, but this stuff goes out over the Internet, and I don't want anybody to be embarrassed, although he shouldn't be, and they shouldn't be. But we have a sister church in New Mexico that was on the verge of closure. They were down to the last five people. And my friend who's a missionary went there to minister to those five people and help them reach the community of Clovis. And they, they're up to 20 now on, on Sunday morning services. The, the Lord has been good out there. And my missionary friend went on deputation. He went to go visit some churches to help raise funds for this work out in New Mexico. And one of the preachers he talked to said, well, what kind of people do you have in that church? The question behind the question is, do you have people in the church that can financially fund and operate a, what we would consider a fully functional church? Heaven help us. If we start doing demographic studies and only reaching out to people that we think can make the church financially viable. That's not what we were told to do. No. We preach the gospel to everybody, not just the easy targets, not just those who can help us financially. We preach the gospel to everybody. And this is what the Lord commands in Mark 16, 15. He says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Every creature? Spot, I need to tell you something. 
No, when, when the Bible says creature, he's, the Bible is saying creation, every created being. Yes. You are a created being. God has created you. All right, the Bible tells us that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That doesn't mean I become a spot. That means I have become a new person. God has created me to being a new man. All right? So we are to preach the gospel to every created being of the Lord. That's why it says to preach the gospel to every creature. Now, if you want to practice on spot, that's okay. But God is talking about preaching the gospel to all mankind. So in the word. What if they don't like it? What if they get mad at you? What if they don't believe it? What if we send a missionary to this foreign field over there and he goes out there and he preaches the gospel and nobody believes it? Did we fail? Did we send him to the wrong place? What went wrong here? The Bible gives us examples of massive collective rejections of the gospel. Not unheard of, it's not unspiritual. The missionary responsible to God for the rejection of the masses? Mm -mm. Because the point of this parable is that people respond to the gospel in different ways. We look in verse 4. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. What's that mean? Verse 15. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. The seed fell by the wayside and the birds gobbled it up. The word was heard, but Satan took away the word that was sown in their hearts. This is where Satan directly interferes with the preaching of the gospel. Some of y'all that have been with us for a while may remember me preaching one Sunday morning and a man walked into the church building hobbled down halfway down the main aisle and started preaching something about being honest. And he, he, I mean, he went on a rant and he turned around, hobbled back out and left. Random. What was that about? What possessed him to come into the Lord's services and to totally disrupt everything? Now, he don't know. But there was some demonic influence there. You ever be trying to share the gospel with somebody and all of a sudden their friend shows up and starts running interference? Why did the, what, what's he thinking? He don't know. Satan is leading him to be an interference. The sudden distraction that takes a prospect's mind off the gospel. You ever have somebody thinking about salvation? And they're, they're, you can tell they are, they are really pondering this and all of a sudden... Did you hear the Rangers cut Bartolo Colon? You know, it's like, it's like a light switch. Somebody flipped it and all of a sudden their mind is back on worldly things. What happened there? Satan stole the word. All right? Satan works through these distractions to keep the seed from taking root. Is that your fault? No. Now, you can do a few things about, I mean, there are things you can do to reduce the distractions. Just like in agriculture, there are some things you can do about the birds. My great-grandfather used to take those little bags that the newspapers come in, and he put those out on a little post out in the garden. When the wind would blow, it would make a pop, 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 and it would scare the birds off. But that only goes so far. His garden was never completely bird-free. Why are the birds around here? Well, that's a future sermon. We'll talk about birds later, okay? 
It's not your fault, though. It's not your fault. We read in verses 5 and 6, And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Some seed fell on stony ground and immediately sprung up, and due to the heat from the rocks, that's why you put rocks around your flower bed, by the way, the heat that from the, that's reflected off of those rocks, it helps the plants grow. Plants like heat, all right? But if you don't have soil for it to take root in, you've got a problem. All right? Had no depth of earth. When the sun came out, it was scorched due to the lack of roots and the lack of moisture. So my yard, you wouldn't know it to look, to look at it now. It used to be a cultivated masterpiece. I'm talking San Augustine carpet grass. You could lay on it. It was soft. Like, ooh, good stuff. Then the drought hit. Right after we bought the house, the drought hit. And the water district said, you can't water that no more. Well, the previous owner had watered this grass every day. If you know anything about lawns, you don't do that. You water it once or twice a week, and you give it a good three or four inch soaker. I mean, you know, you give it about a half an inch a day, those, that moisture never gets below the surface, and those roots stay surface level. It looks good as long as you got the water on it every day. You take the water off of it one week and add that southwest wind that hits us in the middle of June, and within a couple of weeks, our yard was dead, wasn't it? Brown. That poor man that sold us that house probably drove by and like, oh, man, I left him. He was all about lawn maintenance. Oh, man. It didn't take long for that yard to die off because the, the grass had no depth of root. Right. You see? Jesus said, these are they who, when they've heard the gospel, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves, but endure for a time and fall away when the affliction and persecution arise for the word's sake. These are folks that look to the word for fulfillment. They look to the word for joy. They look to the word for encouragement. But they don't actually accept the gospel for themselves. These are the people that, that, if I just do this thing in the Bible, I'll get that promotion. I'm doing this thing in the Bible. And they're all hyped up about it. This is me. Senior year, wanting to go to the homecoming dance with this girl. She says, I'll pray about it. I'm going to be super Christian that weekend, right? Not, I'm not repenting of my sins. I'm not turning to the Lord. I'm going to put on a show so that when she prays about this, God says, well, maybe he's an all right guy. God knew, knew better than that. I didn't know good enough to know that God knew better than that. I was pretty stupid. Y'all hear a lot of stories in my youth that are pretty stupid. Don't worry. But what happened? Received it with joy, going to do this thing, going to enjoy this thing, but we're not actually going to deal with the issue of the gospel itself. We're not going to allow it to take any root in and of ourselves. Drug addicts will often replace their addiction with religion. And they become super religious. They become all about Jesus. He, he delivered me from that crack habit. Until the stressors that got them on drugs in the first place reemerge, And they crash. And I've known folks that have gone through this cycle. Super religious, down in the gutter. Super religious, down in the gutter. Because the word doesn't take root. Because they don't deal with the gospel in their hearts. They don't make that decision to repent and to trust the Lord and allow him to reform them from the inside out. Others get caught up in the emotion but never address the substance of the word. 
those thrown on stony ground. Verse 7, And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. Verses 18 and 19, And those and these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust thereof, and the lust of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Some of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked out the seed, so it bore no fruit. And Jesus says, these represent those who were being choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. People are preoccupied by the things of this world. And being preoccupied by the things of this world, the gospel seed does not take root and cannot thrive because the things of this world are choking it out. Preoccupied with the things of this world. They're too busy. They've got too many responsibilities. They've got too many worries. They're thinking about work. They're worried about what tomorrow is going to bring. The cares of this world. The deceitfulness of riches. I'll do this Jesus stuff later, but I have the opportunity to do some amazing things in my career right now. The, the deceitfulness of riches. The cares of this world. I remember Brother Gardner preaching during Super Bowl Sunday. We didn't cancel evening services. And he says, brothers and sisters, I'll get you out of here as soon as I can. But there is not one thing you can do for your team. Whether you're watching it at home on TV or whether you're sitting here worshiping the Lord. All right? But, you know, so that was his warning to not be thinking about the Super Bowl, all services. How often are we concerned about what our favorite teams are doing? We're sitting here, and we're going through the motions of service, but we're thinking about our teams. We're thinking, how is our team doing? Who's our starting pitcher today? Who's our starting quarterback today? Can you believe that Dak threw four interceptions last week? I hope he doesn't do that again today. And this is where we're at mentally. What's happening? Those thorns are moving in. Yeah. By the way, thorns. What was the curse in the garden? Thorns. That's the curse. When you finally get your garden to where you think it's going to be and where it ought to be, the thorns. When you finally earn enough money that you never have to work again, the thorns get in the bank account. When you finally get the perfect roster put together on your team and you're going to win world championships from this point on, free agency hits. And the players want more money and they take a deal with Los Angeles. Thorns. Or they're college players and they enter the draft a year early. Thorns. We're preoccupied with that. Gospel never takes root. There are people that go through life like this. And then verse 8. We learn. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. And Jesus tells us in verse 20, These are they which are sown on good ground. Such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. The ground is tilled, it's ready to be planted, it's cultivated, the seed takes root, it brings forth a crop, and we have a successful harvest. That's the goal of agriculture. This is the person who hears the word, receives it, applies it, and bears fruit in their lives. These are the success stories. They're one in a hundred. You spread the gospel. You spread the gospel. 
you spread the gospel. These are the success stories, but they're in the minority. Brother Wayman shared with me a quote by Jerry Falwell. You knock on a hundred doors, you may have one accept the gospel. You have a hundred accept the gospel, you may have just a handful of those that actually allow it to take root and they become a true disciple of Christ. Yes. I don't know what the I don't know what the percentages are. I do know that uh, City Reach Ministry took a bunch of kids to a city up north and they they went and they did ministry. They worked in people's yards. They gave free car washes. They knocked on doors. They had 40 professions of faith in one week. But they knocked on 1,500 houses and washed no telling how many cars and shared the gospel, no telling how many people in order to reach those 40 with the gospel. Out of those 40, I think just a handful of those, and I'm not going to try to venture on which number, are still part of that local church up there, but it's a small percentage of the 40. But those, but those are the success stories. Yes. And that's why you do this. Amen. But praise the Lord, they're there. Yes. Thailand is not the only missionary's graveyard. The Navajo Nation. Yes. The Navajo Nation. We've got missionaries out there and they will minister for years. Brother Adam mentioned investing a career. That's what our Navajo missionaries do. And over a period of that career, they will see a church of about 13 people grow out of it. You go out there, you knock on doors, you hold vacation Bible schools. Vacation Bible school, you'll have 100 children show up. How many accept the Lord? Not many. But there's that one. And that one's why we put on that vacation Bible school. I remember it was, wow, Jessica, it's, it's been about 13 years. Wow, about the, Jessica and I went on a mission trip out to the Navajo Nation, helped a missionary of ours uh, put on a vacation Bible school, had 75 kids there. It was, and we, and no classrooms either, one classroom. We had them sitting under trees. We had them sitting on the porch. There's an old parsonage there that wasn't being used. We went in that old place to make classroom space. I mean, we, we, we improvised. I was told I was going to teach the high schoolers. And then I found out that high school kids on the Navajo reservation don't go to Bible school. But there was one. And so I'm like, I've got me a class. I've got me one. Yeah. And the junior high teacher says, why don't you come sit? Why don't you just come sit in my class? And, he, and the high school kid's like, "Okay, I don't have my class no more." Mm-hmm. I don't know if I looked dejected, but the the junior high teacher goes, "Well, Leland, why don't you teach then?" All right. Mm-hmm. And so I taught the gospel. Mm-hmm. And this high school kid is looking really interested. Mm-hmm. He it's 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 on his mind. He is considering this. He asks him questions. And then. Bible school's over. (laughs) Time to get back on the bus. What happened? That crow flew in there and, or so I thought. I said, Jared, you going to come back tomorrow? He goes, no, tomorrow I have to shear the sheep. It rained. (laughs) Jared came back to Bible school because you can't shear the sheep in the rain. 
And so the next day, Jared accepted the Lord as his Savior. And his little brother. Why do you put on a vacation Bible school for 75 Navajo kids when you're only going to wind up with a church of 10 people? Because there's Jared and his little brother. You know, um, to go to a mission field like that and to reach and to reach out to a hundred people and have one person accept the gospel might not seem that much to many people, but to that one person who was reached with the gospel, that was everything. Amen. That's why we do this, because yes. God called us to do it, Amen. but because there's good ground out there that has to be cultivated. And the biggest waste is to have good farmland and to not grow anything on it. All right? Jesus spoke this parable to teach us how the world will react to the gospel. But also to get us to consider the state of our own heart. Have you allowed the word an opportunity to take root in your heart? Or have you allowed Satan to steal it away? Have you given due consideration to the gospel and applied the gospel to your life? Have you considered the redemption that Christ has purchased for you? And have you accepted that free gift of salvation? Have you stopped? Because it's easy to think about salvation and repentance and redemption and the things of God in terms of other people. Those people need Jesus. Those people need to repent. Those people need life changes. But have I stopped and allowed that to happen in my life? Or have I been preoccupied with everybody else? If you've ever taught kids in a classroom setting or in a group setting, you know there's always that one kid that wants to make sure all the other kids are doing what they're supposed to do. But he hasn't done what he's supposed to do. Don't be that kid. All right? Have you stopped and allowed the gospel to take root in your heart? Or have you allowed Satan to steal it away? Are you distracted this morning? What are you thinking about right now? What's on your mind today? Have you allowed the cares of this world to steal this moment away from you through what you're thinking about? Have you allowed Satan to steal the word? Have you allowed the word to take root? Or are you just letting it spring up on the heat of the rock but you haven't given it the chance to take root in your own heart? Is your religion, are you having to force it? Are, and I don't want to call, I'm not calling you a hypocrite. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. But do you have to force it? I have to go to church. I have to put on the smile. I have to. Are you having to force it? That's a sign that you're the stony ground. That that word is not taking root. What about the thorns? What are you worried about today? Is that distracting you from the gospel? Or have you allowed the word to take root in your own heart? It's easy for us to take the word and apply it to other people. It's easy for us to say they need Jesus. That Jesus is the answer to their problems. But is he the answer? To mine. Do I need Jesus? Have I accepted Jesus? Am I allowing the Lord and the Word to change me from the inside out?
you haven't allowed that to happen, today needs to be the day you repent. If your focus has always been on how other people need the word, today needs to be the day that you rededicate yourself to where you acknowledge to God that you need the word. That I need the word. Do you know the Lord? And are you allowing him to change your life?